0: Welcome to another Body IO podcast, and this is your host Kiefer, as it always is. And for now, this is going to stay the Body IO podcast, unless I come up with something else creative. But the Veritrium name that I I really liked, uh, people overwhelmingly hated it. So this will not be that. Uh, for now, it's the Body IO podcast, and on today's episode it's another there it's going to be two parts and in part one this is a call where i help somebody with their issues it's one of the donation calls where i gave some one-on-one assistance and asked and answered just about anything that they had that i could answer and so this is rachel and I'll just start the recording and let it play and I probably won't give an outro to this one but there is a part two where we don't talk so much about her dietary and health issues although her, her issues are just really refining what it is she's doing. She's actually in a great place but she she needs to do that that next step and you'll hear that in our conversation and then part two things just go off the rail and we start talking about everything you could imagine uh including an instance of a time that i almost died on the interstate out of sheer stupidity and some other more just kind of Personal stories I guess anecdotes about life and some other things and making clear certain concepts that have become muddled in modern day thought and treatises so I guess that's that's enough of a lead-in and I will just let things begin
1: um so I guess you know I just thought I'd start out by just giving you just a little bit of brief history about myself and even how I came to um, start following all the work that you're doing. Um, you know, when I was, so I'm 45 years old, just so everybody knows. And when I was, you know, in my 30s, I've always been thin my whole life, um, but definitely was one of those that, you know, I just wanted to be skinny. Um, and, you know, i ever never on uh, the really extreme end of thin, but that was always my goal, right? To weigh less. Um, mm-hmm. so I just would do cardio and, you know, uh, monitor really closely what I ate and whatnot. And then probably about seven years ago, somebody had posted on one of the social media accounts, your article about why women shouldn't run. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I know. And I read that and I was like, you know what, this really makes sense. And there is more to being, you know, quote unquote healthy than just being thin. Um, and I just kind of liked the concept of it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. And seven years later, here I am, I've been following your work, um, the entire time. And, um, you know, first of all, we just really appreciate that. I think it's changed my life. So, um, have been strength training, uh, ever since then and I never had picked up weights because, you know, the typical thing I was like, oh, I don't want to get bulky, you know, which was so right. silly. <laughs> uh, but that's just was what I had, had thought. So, um, you know, that's just basically where I'm at, um, and how I, again, how I started, and, um, along this path.
0: And we've already discussed your, it sounds like you're trying to do carb night, but you're just not very good at having the actual carbonites.
1: Yes, that's right. correct. And like I kind of told you, I don't, I, I struggle moderating them. It's easier for me to abstain. Um, even though, you know, again, seven years of your knowledge and what you're preaching, I, um, just consistently can't incorporate those into my diet. I just get like a little, like I would, I overindulge. Um, and then I'm like, oh, you know, two weeks of trying to get back to where I wanted to be. It feels like.
0: Yeah, I understand. Um, so, uh, okay, we can address Address that as we go along. And we we talked about some things we saw on your blood panel, and, and that's really typical what we saw
2: mm-hmm.
0: with um, the it. – I'll cut this out if you want, but with the thyroid hormone. That's like yeah, no, that's su- fine. super yeah. typical, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it, otherwise everything looks great there. So it sounds like, you know – one thing that's that might answer a lot of your questions or solve a lot of your problems is working on that carb night and figuring out how to how to do that mm-hmm. make and that I think, work for you, know,
1: you yeah just hold myself more accountable or have my husband help me you know stay accountable <laughs> so yeah. you, or know, y- you know have just yeah.
0: even just one meal at the end of the night whatever day you decide is your carb night even just a single meal towards the end of the day. So, you know, if you indulge, you can't overindulge too much. I mean, your stomach just has a physical capacity that you won't be able to get past. And then it's the, the end of your day.
1: Okay. I like that because what I think I've tried to do in the past is, you know, maybe get that larger window. Um, And then I think I could do maybe more of just one single meal. And well go to
2: bed
0: it's the adage of the perfect being the enemy of the good and right now yeah. you're not even in the range of the good so mm-hmm. don't worry about the larger window the which the, the larger window is for optimal you know results and right now you're just being low carb all the time you're just sub you're actually very mm-hmm. suboptimal so let's just get to good or okay okay is okay
1: yeah and it may it'll be interesting kind of some of the things i want to you know that we'll talk about i want to bring up regarding some of my maybe um other issues i'll be interesting you may say well carp night here we go this might <laughs> yeah.
0: you know tie right back in <laughs> well it's surprising how many problems are resolved you know with small dietary changes you know whether somebody's trying to do an intermittent fasting thing where they, you know, basically don't eat all day and they only eat a couple meals in the evening. And then they're also training a lot. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well that's a simple fix. Or, you know, somebody that has some weight loss or aesthetic goals and then they're not doing their carbonites. Well, it makes it really hard to reach those goals. Your, your body starts working against you.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that. So, you know, regarding the intermittent fasting, um, you know, I know in the past, so let's talk about that. So I don't really eat in the morning. Um, I'm just not hungry. But I do have coffee with cream. Um, mm-hmm. Good? Or should I be adding more to that? Uh,
0: at the moment, so so I don't have the full scope of everything, but... At the moment, I, I would say that's fine. Okay. I reserve the right to change that opinion as we talk <laughs> talk longer.
1: Okay, I'll take that. Um, you know, I guess I remember you had said this was maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a couple of years ago on one of your podcasts when you were talking about just health. And what does health mean? What does it mean to be healthy? And it's very hard to quantify that, or at least at that time it was for you. So I am curious if you've gotten any more context to something like that because that is the goal like healthy right life longevity disease free
0: right it's actually i mean theoretically it's easy to quantify uh the problem is we don't really have the tools to quantify it so hence the deep dive i had to do into everything so health i mean regardless you came from a background where you probably had a carb heavy diet Mm-hmm. E- even when you were not trying to eat very much. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. I was like healthy, oh, I'll eat oatmeal, you know, and
0: yeah. Like so, so yeah, that's an accelerant for the degradation of cells. So you are somewhere in the disease state and you're farther along than you, you need to be. And that being the case, if you want to fix it, then there's very there's a very specific program to do so like somebody who's been ketogenic their whole life they're they're not going to be in an advanced disease state so they can they have more variety of options that they can mm-hmm. employ you know you're in a situation where carb night coupled with your resistance training is the only program that will start to repair some of the damage that you incurred earlier in life, and okay. the yeah, the more you can repair, the greater the longevity, the lower your risk of cancers, the lower your risk of I- anything and everything.
1: and at what point or is it never com- is it never repaired fully? Do you know what I mean by that? Like if I've been doing carbonite and I'm doing it really well, um doing the resistance training, and is it five years, ten years, seven? years you know like at what point do you you
0: you can clear? unfortunately <laughs> you can unfortunately at you know, let's say in your 30s is when you and this is just a theoretical i'm not saying that's when you did but let's say in your 30s is when you made the shift to say carbonite
2: mm-hmm. i mean that
0: prior 30 years you're never going to fix it
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's not possible so gotcha. the the goal is to arrest all of the acceleration and then start to repair as much as possible and then that gives you your increased longevity, your increased protection from any diseases, all of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. unfortunately it's you just can't fix it. It it sounds like you're in a situation where you're much much better off than somebody who had become you know possibly obese or something like that, like their damage is extreme and And that's the unfortunate thing The damage can get so extreme. You can't even really repair it significantly. Mm
2: -hmm. Interesting.
0: Uh, Yeah. So you're, you're not in that scenario. You can do some repairing. You've even just being ketogenic like you are, or extremely low carb, ultra low carb, Mm -hmm. you're arresting any of the acceleration that was going on. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: yeah well i appreciate that i think that's pretty interesting you know and and this may tie back to i remember this is more aesthetic goals not even necessarily you know um, muscle or anything like that but so let's talk hair skin and nails um things that as you grow older that you want to preserve and you know um still look nice right Mm -hmm. um so you know i've been gray i color my hair i've been going gray let's say since probably my early 30s um Both of my parents have full heads of gray hair. Um, And so I just assumed it was just genetic. You know, that's what everybody tells me. It's genetic. Um, You know, you'll just color your hair for the rest of your life. But then I think I've heard you say a couple of times, you know, about gray hair is just maybe a sign of that disease
2: state.
0: That's correct. So there is a genetic component, but how early that's triggered is very heavily dependent on on the disease state and that's it's one of those things like if you're on the tipping point it's kind of crazy because you can see the changes happen in real time you can see color come back in your hair (laughs) Uh, I mean I can tell if if I go off the diet if I just kind of go crazy and let myself go for a month Mm-hmm. I'll start getting more gray hairs. And then if I fix it within, you know, a month or two of my diet being back on track, they disappear in, in color. So I'm like right on that cusp. Okay. And well, that's I, good reason. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying your color will necessarily come back because you do have a genetic component. There is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it could. It very well could.
1: Okay. And then the same kind of, you know, again, thinning hair. I mean, I still have a full head of hair, but, you know, as you kind of just seems a little bit thinner as I've gotten older.
2: Uh,
0: that's related to it as well. It could be a lack of protein in your diet. I haven't seen like a macro breakdown of your diet.
1: Yeah, and I'm not very good at that i just basically i mean you know counting my macros i just sort of eat what i want and just keep it really low carb um, and then just eat until i'm full Um, usually lunch probably would normally be a salad of some sort with some maybe cucumbers tomatoes on it and then a protein Um, and then dinner similar you know some sort of green low carb vegetable and a protein and you know adequate fat
0: along the way when you say a protein what do you mean
1: So it could be anything, you know, um, pot roast. We had pot roast last night. Um, That was the protein that I had, Um, you know, chicken, pork, any of the meats. So, yeah, okay.
0: typically meat.
1: Yeah, typically meat. Yes.
0: Got it.
2: Um,
1: So that's, you know, where I'm at with that. And I'd also had heard one of the other concerns, too, um, staying sort of in the same genre here is um, cellulite. And you know, I have the cellulite on the back of my legs. It's not awful, but it's definitely there. Um, Mm. And no matter how thin, so you know, in my pre, you know, kefir days, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I got down. I'm five foot eight. I got down to I weigh 130 pounds. I think I've gotten down to close to 110 pounds, um, Mm. really thin. And I still had cellulite.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's essentially. Pro, uh the protein structures in the skin, they've gotten old and you've turned off the repair processes.
2: Mm-hmm. And with
0: those, those turned off, I mean, you're just going to keep the cellulite. It can't go anywhere. It's actually the skin needs to be remodeled. And again, we're kind of coming back to it sounds like you're not eating enough protein because, okay. you know, one of the people don't realize this people who work out or train or resistance work whatever they usually think of their protein needs in terms of their muscles your skin is one of the largest protein turnover organs in the body it needs a lot of protein and so if you have any of this say dietarily induced damage like cellulite hair color um, you know, people start to get crow's feet around their eyes, things like that. That's all related to, well, diet. And then if you fix the diet, then you're probably not getting enough protein for that to start to repair itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what would you advise protein wise then how to calculate that? I mean, I guess I'm kind of waiting on your software and I was thinking, well, well, you know, I'll just really try to dial it in with that. But since yeah, I have well, on the phone, <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, a simple fix is finding something to add in the morning if you can. It sounds like you just really don't want to because you don't have an appetite for it, which I I understand. Um, Do you like cottage cheese? That was always my go-to. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I could add something like that in.
0: Yeah, you don't have to do it at breakfast. You could do it before bed if you're willing to or you Mm -hmm. can add it with lunch or you could have it as a snack with like maybe a little bit of olive oil on it if you want something like that okay and it case casein has some really nice characteristics actually that are really great especially as you get older and you're looking to try to repair or prevent any more damage to you know the skin or things like that
1: Okay, and I actually like I don't know a lot of people don't like or I've heard people say they don't really like the casein powder um, Are you good with something like that too, or is it more just that that's in the cottage cheese or things like no that, you,
0: you can use the powder that's that's fine,
1: okay, and would you like so like post workout I'm just using you know like a a whey protein, one scoop, which I think maybe twenty grams of protein um and that's it, no carbs in there um is there any addition? It's usually I make it usually with like a coconut milk or something like that, and then the scoop of that and of the protein powder, and I'm maybe some ice and blend it up.
0: Oh man, I mean that's a simple one. Just if you just double that, you've gone a pretty significant way to increasing your protein intake.
1: Okay, I know. I guess just just always just so used to just that one scoop. Yeah. Or my head. So
0: or add a scoop of you've got your way in there, add a scoop of casein, too.
1: Okay, okay, great. Um, Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Something. Yeah. (laughs) Something that I've never heard you talk about is um, sun exposure. And maybe even like sunscreen use. Um, How do you feel about I live in Michigan Um, so the sun doesn't come out here very, very often. I was going (laughs) to say, why are you worried about it? (laughs) Well, but I will say we have a home in Palm Springs too. So in California, so, uh, do go out there and, uh, you know, enjoy the sun when I'm there. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously concerned about, you know, you hear all of these things, right? But then I hear another side that says, don't use the sunscreen. That's not good for you. Just limit your sun exposure um, get your vitamin D 15 minutes a day. But again, I haven't heard you say anything about that. So I'm curious your take.
0: Uh, I don't really say much about it because I've lumped it into the minutiae category. Okay. So if you're on a diet that makes you sick, then yeah, you should worry about it. You should try to limit your sun exposure, use sunscreen, If you're not on a diet that makes you sick, then it's much less of a concern. If you're going to be out all day, then use sunscreen. Uh, If you can't handle it, if, if you have a nice dark deep tan, then it's really not a concern. And, you know, part of the problem with sun damage, let's say, and potential skin cancer is, again, the skin needs a lot of protein and it does a lot of remodeling. And what happens is if you're on a carb-based diet, so most of the people who are giving this advice and most of the people who are listening to it, their skin can't remodel and repair appropriately. So, yeah, the sun does massive damage that doesn't get fixed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so if you're not in that regime, then it you literally can lump it off into the minutiae side.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I feel like I, when I'm out there, I rarely get, I ever feel like too much sun. So, you know, I monitor it pretty well. This was curious on that.
0: Yeah, how you no, felt. not. Hey, it's interesting when you really dive down into what it is that causes cancer and how cancer forms, you actually start to explain all the problems they've had with the correlative data, even for lung cancer and smokers.
2: Hmm.
0: Like, you know, the tipping point is the diet is what's making them sick, and the smoking is just accelerating it. So they get really confused when they find lifelong smokers who have what they think is a terrible diet because they eat bacon and fat and mm-hmm. drink alcohol every night, and their chronic smokers are like, okay, well, why aren't they getting sick? It's like, well, they just happen to be doing the right diet accidentally.
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting i know i think i, I, I mean read something-
0: I'm, I'm not advocating smoking just to be clear it is a toxin yeah but yeah
1: i think i read one time something that people like office workers that hardly get any sun you know the risk their skin cancer is on the rise for that group of people they're not even out in the sun
0: yeah yeah it's can't uh, all the idea of cancers being related to toxins in the environment and sun and things like that that's those are things that only manifest if a person's on a diet making them really sick so you know of course we should see the incidence of those things go up because also every generation whatever disease state your mom is in that's actually passed on to you through epigenetic mechanisms when you're born so if if your mother has you When she's already in the disease state, which most mothers are, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you're born into the disease state, which means when you have kids, they're born instead of 20 years in the disease state, they're born 40 years into the disease state. So we should see all these things rising regardless. Um, And we do.
2: Just
1: another reason for my kids to blame me for all their problems.
0: Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said (laughs) that out loud then. I won't let them listen to this. Oh, okay. (laughs)
1: yeah I think it's just really interesting. Um, crazy how that how that's so impactful,
0: yeah, Lamarck, everybody dismissed Lamarck back in the day, but it turns out Lamarckian inheritance is kind of true for some things. I, I don't know if do you know who Lamarck was.
1: No, I don't.
0: Oh, he no, was no. he was the guy who would cut off the tails of rats, thinking that then the rats children wouldn't have tails oh okay so he didn't (laughs) he he had a concept that turns out to be true for certain characteristics and of course he didn't have the information at the time to figure out which characteristics actually could be inherited that way but um he he actually hadn't he was he was completely dismissed and it turns out some of his ideas were correct
1: Hmm. do we have the tools now to determine that Like what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's why we know, you know, kids are basically born into the disease state of their mom. Yeah. You know, that's, that's totally Lamarckian inheritance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I understand like, you know, the genetic component, right. We understand if a mom has this certain chromosome that the chance of passing on to her kids and whatnot, a certain disease, but these things that maybe don't manifest themselves immediately, that's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. They're not, it's, it's not encoded in the genes it's encoded in the methylation mm-hmm. of the genes which mm-hmm. dictates how they're expressed so even though you you look at their genome and it's like well they shouldn't have any problems
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's not the genome it's actually the methylation that's allowing that genome to express in certain ways or not express in certain ways and that the methylation factor essentially is what's inherited
1: Hmm, That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, there's uh, no ways to reverse that that wouldn't potentially be lethal at the moment.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and when I was pregnant with all my kids, you know, I followed the typical American diet, you know, kept it low fat, you know, what I thought were healthy carbs um, you know, drink, but you know, um, did all the things that was recommended. So it's kind of a shame.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I I actually get bothered when people just blame people for eating too much or things like that. It's like, well, even if they eat exactly like government or doctor recommendations, they're going, they're uh, it's unavoidable that they're going to get sick. Mhm. Uh, so it's really hard to blame people and just say, oh, well, it's a lack of willpower and things like that. Yeah. Or that you yeah. were irresponsible when you had your kids because you were eating low. Like, you know, that, that doesn't even make sense to say because you were doing what most policymakers would have said was perfect.
1: Yeah, I was doing what I thought was best and now I know better, but no more babies for me. So I guess... <laughs> let, let somebody else worry about that one so <laughs> oh well yeah oh well yeah um you know kind of on that i guess um with talking about maybe female hormones you saw my blood panel i haven't done any um blood work for like the hormone profile um but i'm interested in maybe doing that or starting that process and just anything maybe you know what i would want to test for or what i would want to look for and something like that yeah
0: um, that's Uh, less of a simple answer than I wish I could give. Okay. Uh, for guys, it's super easy because testosterone goes on yearly cycles. Um, so, but estrogen, progesterone, you know, those go on monthly cycles. So you'd have to do a series of panels through the month. Mm. Uh, and then I couldn't necessarily tell you what to look for. Okay. It, it's something I'd I'd have to look at, and because there's a lot of interplay with how those are ramping up and falling off, and what's ramping up when. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be helpful to know your estrogen levels if you could get those done
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay. prior to menses, during menses, and then after. Okay. Like, if if you can do that, so estrogen levels and progesterone levels, that would be enough of a snapshot to have some idea of if things are out of whack. And also, I it would be able to tell you how to use your carbonates so you don't like to do them all the time. There will be a period ar- around your menses that it's best not to have them. So that could be your window. It's like, oh, I don't have to worry about carbs.
1: Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard that.
0: Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting because women, you know, before their cycle use carbs completely different from men. And then towards the middle to after your cycle, you start to use carbs a lot like men. So it really would affect how you want to train, how you want to eat your carbs, um, you know, for professional athletes, it make a huge mm-hmm. difference. You know, all those things, and it makes a difference on birth control too. The type of birth control that somebody might want to use it changes things so much
1: hmm.
0: in women. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start with something like that. That's a good place to begin. Um, okay, I think that answers kind of all the questions. For myself, I kind of told you that maybe if, if we had time that I wouldn't mind going into just a few questions I have about my kids.
0: Wait, so that's that's like all the questions you had?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow, I feel like...
2: <laughs>
0: OK. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing you didn't talk about that we touched on previously was your alcohol.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Well, I, yeah, I kind of um, feel like maybe you've answered it just a little bit. But um, like I was telling you um, prior to this start recording, um, you know, I do enjoy a glass of wine every night, uh, maybe a cocktail on the weekends, um, keep it low carb. Um, and look, I was saying to you, that's kind of one of the reasons maybe why I hesitate with my carb nights is when I'm out to dinner or even if I'm home, I always had kind of felt like, well, I'd rather just have a glass of, you know, dry red wine than I would some carbs. um, And then I guess, and, you know, how do I, is it incorporating that in? Is it an issue, a daily consumption of, you know, alcohol? Um, I'm sure there are issues. What are they? What are the negatives? And, and as I had said, also, you know, it's just a glass of wine. It's not uh, something that I, um, you know, take to the extreme um, either. So.
0: Right. Well. Again, so this is the, it's not ideal, but it's also not a major hurdle that you need to overcome. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. The the consequences are alcohol, in a way, it's somewhat beneficial because it cuts down on, well, it's protein sparing in the body. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds great in most scenarios. The problem is the way it spares protein is slowing down protein turnover, which means you're slowing down the repair of tissues that you want repaired, like your skin and things like that. (laughs) Okay. So it's kind of that trade-off. You're slowing down your achievement of certain goals, but at the same time, there's a strong psychological component that's useful for your day you you talked about you know your four kids are super active there's a lot of stuff going on in your life so mm-hmm. you have to balance that psychological component with what you're willing to accept in moving towards your goals i mean you're still moving towards your goals it's just not as rapid as it could be so
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: yeah and that is and that's how i kind of explained it's like at the end of the day or it's you know a busy day it's whether i've worked or the kids are Active and doing and whatnot. And it's sort of that that transition from that to like, okay, now I'm home. I can like breathe just for a minute. Um, and that's what does it for me.
0: Yeah. And that's, yeah. I've just, mm-hmm. luckily, I've never acquired a taste for alcohol. So I have no.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It is. Nail mm reference. Mm-hmm, I understand. I mean, it's the only one I do. I don't smoke um, or anything, but that's definitely. I guess the drug I've chosen.
0: Yeah. It's I, I actually used to belong to a wine club in San Francisco and I just would bring bottles of wine, but I never drank anything.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a I, shame.
0: Well, I mean the no, people no. there were yeah, the people there were so interesting. Like I had to go. Like I, I couldn't not go.
1: And so what would you drink when you were there? Oh like just, talking to the people or just water?
0: Yeah, just water. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, anything else maybe that I said that triggered something?
0: Uh, no, other than no. you have some things listed as like high and low in your blood work, mm-hmm. and you can go through and look at which ones those are. But which I, I have. I, yeah, they're they're almost meaningless uh, because e- even oddly enough, being within quote unquote normal ranges is almost meaningless as well. And I'm only telling you that because, you know, there are a couple things there. I don't want you to look at those and be worried. And it's you have to remember these numbers are number are aggregates from healthy people on a diet making them sick. Mm. So yeah, that's why actually, I kind
1: of when I sent that to you, I was like, okay, I want I'm interested in your perspective because, you know, what is quote-unquote, like you said, normal.
0: Yeah, you, you can't. Th- that's the problem is they're totally out of context if you're not on a diet that's making you sick. And then they're also completely out of context when they're applied to somebody who is, say, obese and will just pick cholesterol. And they look at an obese person's cholesterol levels and say, wow, they're super high compared to a 20-year-old healthy individual with no excess body fat who's active. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, of course they are because that person is physiologically different. Um, So, again, that even in that situation, it's completely out of context. And in your situation, your diet is not commensurate with where these numbers came from. So, to be honest, I can't tell you what some of the numbers mean. And and nobody Mm -hmm. could. Because there, we don't have the information in the right context to say what they mean, but we do have a lot of historical data, and these, these numbers, I mean, I would say, are almost meaningless.-hmm So mm-hmm. Just, just to let you know, I wouldn't worry about any of all the things that I see that are high and low, the, the, I mean, they're inconsequential numbers.
1: Yeah, okay, great. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, some things obviously, if they're high, then that signals a, a real problem. But you, none of, none of your work has anything in any of those categories, so you're good.
1: Okay, great. Um, okay, on to my children.
0: Sure, this okay. is this yeah. is your time. You can ask okay. whatever you want.
1: Okay, great. Well, I have four kids. Um, and. I'll start with my two younger ones. They're twins. Today is their 13th birthday. Um, okay. So they have
0: male, female, um,
1: female. Uh, boys, identical boys. OK. Yeah. Um, and they have some food allergies and some seasonal, you know, external allergies, um, environmental allergies. And we've really worked well through their food allergies, um, have worked with a great doctor in, in Chicago and, um, you know, I've got that dialed in where it's just peanuts for one and then um, peanuts and a few tree nuts for the other. And so we're more managing that. But I think really where I'm, I'm struggling is these seasonal allergies um, and nobody just seems to have an answer uh, for them. And I feel like they hardly ever breathe out of their nose. Um, year-round and sometimes of the year is worse than others and we I talked to their allergist and you know she tries different medications which I'm not a huge proponent of because especially it's not really even helping them it maybe alleviates it just a little Mm -hmm. um but you know I'm like I'm not going to continue to give you the Allegra and the Zyrtec or whatever if it's not you know and they agree the the boys agree it's like no this really isn't helping I don't want to take it um so I'm just curious if you have any insight
0: uh, I'm, I'm a little curious. I, I first want to ask about the food allergies. So, are okay. are we talking mild allergies, or are we talking anaphylactic shock?
1: Anaphylactic shock. Um, okay. Fortunately, so... they have not had that reaction, but we've done some. You know, definitely one of my. Sons is allergic to egg too, and we're doing like a baked egg kind of challenge where now he's able to tolerate some baked egg goods and whatnot. But prior to that, he had had, you know, an accidental exposure and it was, you know, vomiting and things like that. Um, And then we tried a peanut challenge with my other son and he blew up right away with like just a little bit of peanut butter. But we haven't had to use the EpiPens, even in those scenarios, but it's more than just discomfort. It's definitely physical um, outward symptoms that they experience.
0: And the the son with the egg allergy, mm-hmm. does he have any allergens to any red meat at all?
1: No, no, nope, okay, no. Nope. And it's interesting. The other, his brother was had an egg allergy also, but he outgrew his. At what age? At probably about seven.
0: Oh, okay. So, I mean, part of allergies are related to, again, the state of the mother during gestation and birth.
1: I teed that one up for you, didn't I?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, that's your younger son having them and outgrowing them, and then your or I mean sorry, your older son having them and outgrowing them and then your younger sons taking Well possibly no possibly longer. Of
1: the, yeah, both mm-hmm. of my older two kids do not have any food allergies. This is right. all just the twins, yeah.
0: Yeah. And they, you know, they came, they came later, which means you were farther along in a disease state, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, it's just that simple. So, well, I mean, obviously it's not simple, but the explanation is simple. Uh, it's, so their food allergies sounds like you have a grip on them and you're doing the right thing. You're trying to get them past them.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, because food allergies actually only get worse Well, the peanut allergy is different, but like, say, the egg allergy, Mm -hmm. that will only get worse and spread to other foods if you try limiting the diet.
1: Yes. And, you know, we went to when they they were first diagnosed, it was the egg allergy that came out first and they were young, maybe a year old. Um, And so we kind of went to the local doctor here. And did that for a couple of years. And, you know, what? I was just like, I just don't buy this, you know, and and they were like, oh, they should avoid coconut. And because the blood panel shows coconut. And I was like, well, they're eating coconut and they're fine.
2: Yeah. And,
1: you know, and, they, and she was like, no, nope, they need to stop the coconut. They need to stop the sesame seeds, all of these things that they were eating um, without reaction. And then so I'm like, I didn't buy it. So that's when then, yes, I did switch. And fortunately we did because then this new doctor, she's like, no, that is like the worst thing you can do is if they're tolerating something that maybe some sort of a test shows that maybe they will have a reaction to, but they're tolerating it, keep eating it.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, those tests, it's hard to say what they mean Mm -hmm. because I love this one study. It was brilliant. They brought in a group of people who had food allergies or thought they did. And they did blood work on them. And part of the experiment was they told them the complete opposite of what their blood work came back with. (laughs) And so the people were like, oh, my gosh. So I'm not allergic to A, B, and C, whatever. But I'm allergic to these other things I've been eating. So then they left. And I think it was two or three months later, they retested them and found out that all the foods that they tested negative for – now that they thought they had a food allergy to them, now the test was positive. Wow. That's so it's, insane. Yeah. It's hard to say what the immunoglobulin, you know, you got GE, all those, it's hard to say what those actually mean then. Like we, mm-hmm. we don't know when it comes to food allergies.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, what they're reading now with the blood work and whatnot. And I think this doctor is pushing it, you know, even though maybe the blood panel shows that an elevated you know above the what you would normally want for a peanut she's like i think it's close enough let's try it
0: yeah Mm
2: -hmm.
0: yeah so for the food allergies you're doing all the right thing for seasonal allergies i mean i gotta tell you that one's (laughs) still one of those things i'm trying to dig up because everything is in all the information on those is inconsistent
2: Mm Hmm.
0: Uh, I, so managing symptoms is probably the best you can do. Ignoring symptoms when you can is even better. Mm -hmm. Uh, breathing through your nose. You said they hardly ever breathe through your nose. The the nose filters out tons and tons of stuff. Um, so that can make a difference as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, I read, there was a book I read, Alex had had somebody on her program, I think one time, one of her podcasts, and it was about oxygen, the oxygen advantage was the book that I read, um, you know, just about how important it is to breathe through your nose. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to get them to, but I know when they sleep, I'm positive they're breathing through their mouths. (laughs) You can short of taping it shut. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had an answer on the allergy things. I notice when I take Higher levels of zinc and magnesium, like mm-hmm. my allergies are really subdued.
2: Okay. Because
0: because I have seasonal allergies, but unfortunately, I can't find a concrete reason why that should be so. But I've tried and played with everything for myself, and those two in higher than normal dosages always mm-hmm. help me during allergy season. Okay. So take that with a grain of salt.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's worth a shot um, for sure. So on my – one of my other kids, my middle son, he's 15, um, and he is definitely a pretty intense athlete.
0: So you have um, all boys?
1: I have three boys. My oldest is a daughter. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 17-year-old, yeah. Um, So – and he, um, you know, plays a lot of sports and mostly – basketball and lacrosse kind of are the ones that i'm thinking of and just curious your thoughts on you know he's you know he's gotten advice from nutritionists right on what to eat pregame so he doesn't quite get his gassed during these intense running sessions and you know basketball is a lot of running and then resting for a minute um and it's the same with lacrosse um right. and so i was just curious you know conventional was what what we've been given versus what you would suggest sort of maybe pregame nutrition.
0: Uh, well, it's not just the pregame. Of course, okay. this is one of those answers. It's like <laughs> it depends.
1: Okay.
0: It depends. It's not just the pregame. It's it's okay. it depends on how he eats. Period. If he's on a regular kind of carbohydrate based diet, you know, he's a teen. If if that's what he's eating, there is no pregame that's really going to help him not gas out. Okay. Um, the the best pregame that would help him not gas out is to have like Gatorade or something ready on the go throughout the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which yeah, I I mean there's a lot of reasons I wouldn't recommend that, but that's really the only thing there is. There's no pregame meal or preparation or anything that. Yeah, I reason- mean it was
1: it, it was a whole process right of like fats now protein at this point you know then carbs but no fat you know and things like that like this is daunting
0: yeah no you can't (laughs) if you're on a carb-based diet the the body is actually hmm, how does how to say this exactly it's in a state that's hard to modify its present energy Mm -hmm. capacity Mm mm-hmm and because yeah. you're used to eating carbs, the muscles actually are down regulated on how much they'll store. So there's there's nothing you can do to change that. It doesn't matter how much you eat, it, you know, none of that matters. Like you just can't modify it.
1: hmm. Okay. Well that's good to know.
0: Yeah. That's if good. he were if he did something like carb backloading, mm-hmm. then actually I mean he'd be pretty optimal to never gas out.
1: Okay. Well, I can talk to him. He's pretty good. You know, he's definitely um, interested and, you know, yes, he eats a, you know, he is again, a 15 year old boy. So he's eating, you know, carbs. He's eating bread and pasta and things like that. Um, But I think I could definitely have a conversation with him um, and he would get it, you know, if maybe if he could do some carb backloading. um,
2: Yeah.
0: He'd be all in for that. And the other thing is just the appropriate type of aerobic training as well can go huge huge lengths and that would be I always I call it sprint endurance training okay or or power endurance and those are activities where you go for maximum power output for as long as you can hold it and then you relax for a while you don't stop You you don't want to stop your activity. And the bicycle and rowing machines are extremely prone to this type of conditioning because you can sprint all out for as long as you can hold it. And when you can't, you just fight to keep going until you kind of recover and then you do it again.
1: Okay. Yeah. And we have that's
0: uh, massive endurance building.
1: Okay. Oh, that's great.
0: Um, you know,
1: and go ahead.
0: Oh, I was gonna say and You don't have to do it for the commensurate amount of time that you need that endurance for. So, for example, when I was training to do 100 miles on the bicycle in under five hours, I never rode more than 40 miles on a training ride.
2: Mm.
0: But that 40 miles was just brutal all-out power and then, you know, relax and then all-out power and then relax. And then the 100-mile ride, I mean – at the end of the 100 miles, I was totally fine. I could have easily done another 50. Wow.
1: Um That's
0: great. You just, yeah, you just, you, A, you have more access to your body's energy reserves, and B, anything that you ingest during the activity is also more easily utilized at the muscle where you need it. So the, those are the advantages of that kind of power endurance training. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. That's helpful. You know, and he's also, and this was another question regarding um, him, mostly him, and then maybe my two younger boys, um, is we do have, we have full weight equipment in our basement. Um, And so he's my middle son, again, 15, started working out and lifting weights. Um, Any concerns? You know, I don't know. Is it a wives' tale that, I mean, he's gone through puberty, but you know, any concerns at what age and maybe with my 13 year old boys, you know, they're wanting to start. Is there a concern at that, at that age that maybe they should just hold off until they've fully gone through puberty?
0: No, there's, there's no concerns. There's always that myth of like epithelial plates sealing early and then they have short stature.
1: Yes. That's what I've heard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That, that doesn't happen. If, if they were to take exogenous anabolic hormones, that closes epithelial plate growth and cause okay. and can cause short stature. But naturally, there's no fears whatsoever.
1: That's what I was wondering. That's because that is what I've heard, and it's like, oh no, don't let them lift. You know, they won't. It'll stop. It'll stunt their growth.
0: Um, yeah, no, it's totally. I okay. mean, it, it's kind of funny because people worry about people want their sons to resistance training you know they might be kind of worried about it going through puberty when actually its daughters you know when women go through puberty they absolutely should be resistance training Uh, it would pretty much eliminate scoliosis in women which is like ten times more common than it is in men and it's because as soon as they go through puberty and estrogen hits their system their muscles just start to atrophy particularly their spinal muscles Which then allows scoliosis to run rampant. So, okay. Just an extra tidbit, even though your daughter's 17.
1: Yeah, and I can't get her to lift.
0: She does a little, but (laughs) she wants to follow
1: these Instagram girls and do their band workouts and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, you know, but uh, maybe someday.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can always you can always pitch it. As, look, this is going to give you the body that other women will, like, ac- absolutely kill for forever.
1: Yes. And, you know, she's trying to grow her booty, you know. So she's <laughs> doing all these booty girls, you know. And she's like, There you go, this resistance workout. training. And I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah. yeah and the I'm like, do best... some hip thrusters.
0: <laughs> yeah, the best <laughs> yeah. booty you can build is if you resistance <gasps> train with the right exercises.
1: Okay. Well, when this comes out, I'll have to make sure she listens to that section.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you just, you have to, you have to find the pressure points to press to sometimes yeah. motivate people.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: So I hope everybody enjoyed that first segment. And again, I always appreciate everybody's support. I appreciate everybody who listens to these podcasts, and I really hope that you found something of value in listening to me have a one-on-one conversation with somebody like this. Uh, So again, body.io, you can find all this material and more and find ways to help support my goals and my mission, which really ultimately centers around you and making the world a better, healthier place. So hope everybody enjoyed and uh, I encourage you to listen to part two. It's, yeah, it's different, uh, but enjoyable.